Sunday, of course, is all about the resurrection, and we get very excited about celebrating the resurrection, and rightly uh, so. Um, the resurrection of Jesus is all about his victory, his triumphant victory over sin and death, um, over all the things that kept us separate from God, over all the things in our lives that kept us away from him. Jesus beat it all when he rose up from the grave. Uh, and when Jesus rose from the grave, he, he guaranteed our future with him, that death would no, no longer be able to keep a hold of us, that we would be able to enter into eternal life with him. So much to celebrate about the resurrection. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, he offers you the chance to be part of his resurrection life too. He offers you the chance to give your life to him and enter into his forever life where you can know forever relationship uh, with God. You know, we uh, as a church uh, are perhaps not as much into the Christian calendar as some of the more traditional uh, churches. But some of those traditions are actually helpful. And of course, as we've already heard, uh, before Easter Sunday comes, well, there's Good Friday, but before that, there's Maundy Thursday, and today is Palm Sunday. Now, Palm Sunday, again, is often thought of as being all about this triumphal entry of Jesus and everyone shouting hallelujah and raising, uh, waving palm branches. But of course, Jesus himself didn't choose the palm branches. When we look at Jesus and what he was actually involved in choosing on Palm Sunday, he chose a donkey. He chose not to ride in as some wonderful, all-conquering, triumphant, you know, military hero, but he came along a path of humility and servanthood as he came to them fulfilling the Old Testament scriptures about a humble servant leader who would come to them riding on a donkey. Palm Sunday, remembering that occasion. Maundy Thursday, coming this Thursday, this week, when we remember the, the table around which Jesus gathered with his disciples and introduced the breaking of bread, which we will finish our time with here um, this morning. And then Good Friday, as we've heard wonderfully from our children, the day when we remember that Jesus died. Because the truth of Easter is this, that Jesus had to die before he could be resurrected. There had to be a crucifixion before there could be a resurrection. So I'd like us to turn together to Matthew chapter 3 and verse 16, which is just at the end of Matthew chapter 3, and we're going to read through to Matthew chapter 4 and verse 11. So Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. 
Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. You know, Jesus heard God speak over his life, this is my son, in him I'm well pleased. And then he goes into the wilderness, into a lonely, barren, and empty place, and he is tempted, tested by the devil. So much that we could say about these temptations, but I want to focus in for a moment on the third one. You see, Satan comes to Jesus, and he says, I could give you all the kingdoms of the world. I could give you all power and all authority. I could give you all glory and all honor. Now, if you haven't kind of twigged already, that should be kind of ringing some bells. When we talk about Jesus getting all power and authority and glory and honor, because actually that's exactly what Jesus has already been promised. Because at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. God the Father has given all power and all authority to Jesus. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the ruler of the universe. Jesus is everything. Everything is created by him and through him and for him. And yet the enemy comes to him and he says, if you would worship me, if you would, if you would just take a shortcut, if you would just worship me, you could have all of that now. Because why is there a temptation here? If Jesus is going to get all glory and all honor anyway, why would it be a temptation to worship Satan and get all of those things from him? Because what Satan offers him is to have kingdoms and dominion and power and authority without going to the cross. He offers him the kingdom without the cross. And what Jesus shows us as he rejects that testing, that temptation from the enemy, what Jesus shows us is that we cannot have the kingdom without the cross that God never intended for us to have the kingdom without the cross. That between us and our participation in God's kingdom, between us and our participation in this glorious and amazing future, lies the cross of Jesus Christ. Before we get to Easter Sunday, we must first embrace Good Friday. When Jesus died on the cross, it was the ultimate expression 
of God's love for us. The Bible tells us that's how he makes his love manifest in our world. That's how he makes his love tangible so that you can know it, you can touch it, you can experience it. It's through the death of Jesus on the cross. It was an act of sacrifice. Jesus laid down his life in place of your life and mine. He took all your sin and rebellion, your rejection of God. He took your guilt and your shame upon himself. He was despised and rejected, spat on by the very people he came to save. And his father in heaven turned away from him as he took all of our sin upon himself. The Bible says he ransomed us. He redeemed us. That is, he paid the price. When we were trapped in our slavery to sin, when we couldn't break free from the hold that it had on our lives, by shedding his blood, Jesus paid the price to set us free. That's the value that he places upon your life and mine, that he would shed his blood to purchase us for God. The Bible teaches us that his blood shed on that cross washes us. It makes us clean and holy and acceptable to God. That you and I could step into the throne room of a holy, awesome, eternal, majestic God that we could boldly approach his throne of grace because his blood has been shed for us. Pleasing and acceptable to God. Not just about let in, but pleasing and acceptable to God. That God, as he looks up from whatever he's doing, I don't know if he's looking at things on his table, but I picture it that way. He looks up and he sees you, and he breaks into a smile. You know how you can, you can tell when you walk into someone's office or into the middle of something that they're doing? You know pretty much straight away whether they're glad to see you or not, don't you? He's always pleased to see you. He's always pleased to see you because he sees the blood that Jesus has shed for you. He sees you washed in that blood, made pleasing and acceptable, and you make his heart sing. Through Jesus' death on the cross, I am forgiven and I am reconciled to God. And that means I have an amazing future. John 3, 16, reasonably famous verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, shall not spend an eternity separated from God, will not perish, but will have eternal life. John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it 
to the full. And then the book of Revelation describes the end of the ages when finally everything is as it should be. And in Revelation chapter 21 and verses 1 to 7, we read this. Revelation 21 and verses 1 to 7. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice in the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. And then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. I, he said to me, I, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end to the thirsty. I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. And those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. There is a beautiful kingdom where God rules with perfect love, justice, righteousness, peace, joy, justice and mercy fully established to the ends of the earth. There is a perfect kingdom and it is your inheritance. What an amazing, amazing future we have. But there's something else about the work of the cross in our lives that we sometimes miss. And it's something that is enacted every time we watch somebody being baptized. In Romans chapter six, lots of Bible today, you're okay with that, right? Romans six says this from verse one, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We're those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. When a person is baptized, they identify themselves with the death of Jesus. They're baptized into his death. That's why we practice baptism by immersion because it's so symbolic of us. When we go down into the water, it's like we're going down into that grave. And an old life is dead and buried. It's done with. We've entered into his death. You see, it was our sinfulness, it was our old life centered on ourselves that ruined our fellowship with God and our ability to fulfill his plan and purpose for our lives. 
And people try all kinds of things, good, well-meaning people try all kinds of things to better themselves and become better people. And some people will practice all kinds of religious observances, whatever faith they might follow, and their motivation is they're trying to be a better person. But the gospel we've believed is that actually, though we were powerless, though we came to the realization, actually, I can't kill off those things in me that keep me separate from God. I always end up doing the things that I don't want to do. I always end up being less than I know that I should be. And what Jesus offers us is he offers us the opportunity to enter into his death so that we can die to an old way of life that kept us from living the kind of life that God wanted us to live, that kept us from the perfect kind of relationship with God that he wanted us to have. He offers us the opportunity to enter into his death so that his death can be applied to our life. So that when I am baptized, actually what is happening is I'm saying, I am identifying myself with his death. And yes, he's applying the benefits of his death, what he purchased for me, the forgiveness of my sins, his blood shed for me. But as well, I'm entering into that death. I'm dying to my old way of life. I'm embracing the cross, and the work that the cross wants to do in my life. Because before there can be resurrection, there has to be crucifixion. Matthew 16 and verse 24 says this, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. It's not the best kind of marketing strategy, really, to promote a particular philosophy or way of life. If you want to be my follower, take up the means of your own execution. You see, crosses for us in our modern culture, they're normally nice and polished. Perhaps they're gold and shiny and hanging on a chain. But you know, crosses were not a jewelry item in Roman culture in first century Palestine. This was an instrument of torture designed to be one of the most brutal, painful ways that they could come up with at that time to kill people to teach them a lesson in front of everyone else, designed for pain and suffering. And Jesus says, if you want to be my follower, you've got to go for that too. You've got to embrace a death. You've got to embrace some suffering. You've got to embrace what I went through on your behalf. I don't mean that he wants to torture you or punish you. I'm saying he wants you to identify with what he went through at the cross and allow that to have its effect in your life. We cannot have the kingdom without the cross. We cannot participate in all the glories and the majesty and all the provision and the wonder and the splendor of God's perfect kingdom without embracing the cross. And the cross has the power to set us free from an old way of life because it enables us to die. Instead of trying harder to be acceptable to God, 
by following all kinds of rules and regulations and practices. We're simply called to embrace the cross and its work in our lives. Jesus embraced the cross. In John 10, 17 and 18, it says this, the reason that my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. He was not forced. The Romans or the Jewish leaders at the time or whoever might have thought that it was their will that was being done. But Jesus says, no one took it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. See, God does not force you onto the cross, but he invites you to embrace its work in your life. Jesus chose to die because it brought about the will of God for his life and for our lives and actually for the future of this planet. And he now calls us to choose the cross so that we too can die, so that we can die to an old life lived without him and truly live a new kind of life that is centered on him. But sometimes we're tempted to take the shortcut, aren't we? Sometimes we're tempted to try and go straight to the new kind of life with all the blessings that we've heard about and we want the Jesus wants me for a sunbeam kind of gospel without embracing the work of the cross. Embracing the cross means that there are certain ways of living that we choose to let go of. And there are certain ways of living that we choose to embrace. We allow the cross to do its work. We die to selfishness and greed, to putting ourselves first, to centering our lives around us and our needs and our wants. We die to hatred and bitterness. The cross works in our lives and suddenly we find we have to let go of that resentment, that thing that person did that you've carried for years. The cross works its way in your life and you die to those things. We die to sexual immorality and impurity, a lack of holiness in our lives. We die to dishonesty and deceitfulness. We die to resentment and jealousy. You'll know those things that God is working on in you. The cross has power to put those things to death in our lives. But interestingly, Luke, in his gospel account, when he shares that same verse about Jesus saying to take up our cross, he just adds in one word, daily. Take up your cross daily. Again and again and again. Again and again and again, we choose to embrace the cross. We will, as we stand in this world, as it were, between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, because Jesus has already resurrected, but our resurrection is still to come. And so it's like we stand in between those things and we keep embracing the work of the cross in our lives, even as we continue to celebrate the resurrection. Paul says in Titus 2, 11 to 14, that it is the grace of God that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions 
The cross is a work of God's grace. The cross, even though it defies the logic of this world, is actually a blessing from God for us and our lives. And that's why it's called Good Friday. Ever wondered about that? Surely it should be called Bad Friday. Jesus died. The cross is so powerful and such a blessing from God, even though it represents a willingness to lay down our lives and to die. So we're going to finish our time together this morning by breaking bread together. I want to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We will move on um, to a song, but actually I'm going to ask, when the worship band do come, I'm going to ask them just to play while we break bread, because I want to give us all an opportunity just to reflect. Sometimes we're, um, we're quick to, to sing and dance, and that's great. I love the celebration. Let's party hard on Easter Sunday and celebrate the resurrection. But I'd love us just to have a moment of reflection. And there will be another opportunity to do this on Good Friday itself when we have worship and communion together. But I wanted to invite us this morning just to take a moment to pause and to reflect and to say, God, actually, not just today, but on an ongoing basis, I want your cross to be at work in my life. I'm excited about the resurrection. I'm excited about our eternal destiny. I'm excited about your kingdom coming and being established to the ends of the earth. But I know that part of that and part of my participation in that is my willingness to embrace the work of your cross in my life. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and from verse 23 says this. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many of you are weak and ill and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we are more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. An invitation then this morning to come again to the table, to come and to take the body of Jesus that was broken for all of us, to come and to take a cup, to receive again by faith of his blood that was shed for us. An invitation to embrace the cross and to allow the cross to work in our lives.